Hello, everyone, and welcome to HR Works, the podcast for HR professionals. We really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy day to join us. I am the host, of course, Jim Davis, and the editor of HR Daily Advisor. Here, we aim to put tools and knowledge into the hands and ears of you, the HR professional. And these tools will arm you with the best strategies and methods for attracting, motivating, and retaining top talent. We know employers spend so much time and energy on the entire employee life cycle. That includes sourcing, onboarding, retention, engagement, and even exit interviews. If I've learned one thing since taking on this podcast, it's that change in an organization literally cannot happen without the leaders being on board. But how can HR managers make this happen? It's the $100 million question, and we're thrilled to have two experts from Rose Group International here today to help us answer it. The first of our two guests is Meg Mankey, senior partner at Rose Group International and culture and leadership expert. Meg has years of experience in leading through transition, from major changes in highly regulated industries to managing through $100 million acquisition, Meg has refined skills in understanding people through change. Our other guest is Dr. Rachel M.K. Headley, also a senior partner at Rose Group International, and she's also a culture and leadership expert. Rachel brings a methodical and razor-sharp intellect to solving problems that suit her client's organization, its ideal culture, and business goals. She has led and managed teams for over 20 years. Rachel enjoys a good challenge and manages big projects, unites diverse stakeholders, guides teams through change, and leads complex and groundbreaking achievements. Rachel and Meg, thank you so much for joining us today. We're so excited to have you. Hey, this is Rachel. Thanks so much for having us. Hello, this is Meg. We're glad to be here. Excellent. Let's jump right in. There are a lot of experts out there talking about how to be a great leader. What do you think that those experts tend to get wrong? Well, I suppose just about everything at some point. That's why they're experts. <laughs> um, I think, you know, the, the focus in, in the leadership world has been um, primarily on individual leadership, how to be a better leader. And we have then um, left on the table education and the thought about how to be, uh, how to motivate a team. And I think the mistake is that they are one and the same, uh, but in fact, they're not. And you have to really learn how to motivate motivate a team based on the differences uh, within the team, the different perspectives and preferences. And um, so I, I think that's the thing. That's the next phase of leadership development within organizations is to look to resources uh, that, that can help not just um, train or motivate or educate individual leaders on how to be a better leader, but how to actually lead a team and engage a team and motivate a team. So how would you approach leadership? What would your approach solve that others might not? Um, This is Rachel. Um, What we look at is the hardest thing about everything that we do is people. And, you know, we also look at um, getting things done from a management perspective. I have a project, man- I'm a project management professional. I have a lot of years in project management process. But what we really miss out of that a lot is we focus on managing the work, but we really miss how we can support the people. And so what we do is we like to look at 
who's on your team and how, what are they doing and how can you support them and how can you help them thrive? And then the work is just sort of a logic puzzle. But the really hard part of, of what, what we lead and how what we do is all really about how to understand and support your people. Because when they feel supported and they feel like they can thrive, then the work is it's almost like magic. The work gets done um, without actually you know, a huge amount of extra attention. And so that's really the difference is we really like to start by focusing on who your people are and, and what they're and how they can thrive. I mean, a, a lot of ink's been spilled about trying to identify, you know, types of people in the workplace, you know, and one of those differences is how various generations like to work. Do you feel like barriers exist between leadership and younger staff? And, and if you do, is this due to generational gaps or are there other barriers that leaders aren't addressing? This is Meg. Uh, I think that that barriers exist. I think that um, because we have decided as a business community that they should exist um, because of generation generational differences, then yes, they do exist. I think that they don't need to. And I think that differences exist between people, but it doesn't really have anything to do with generations. Um, I think that the perspective of different generations has um, evolved over the years because the world has evolved. And I think that leadership's real responsibility, if you're Gen X or before, your real responsibility is to understand the world as it is now, because that's how these younger generations see it. We're all trying to play, well, I throw myself into the Gen Xer bucket. I'm actually a millennial, but don't tell anybody. Elder millennial. I'm an elder millennial. <laughs> <laughs> uh, me too. So. <laughs> um, but, but I think that, you know, we're all constantly trying to play catch up with new technology and you know, what's the hottest new social media to market on and um, what, all the things that you're supposed to be paying attention to. We are constantly in a mode of catch up. Uh, the, the millennial generation and younger generations that are actually even now getting into the workforce, they were born into that. And so really what I think it is, is a, a perspective on what accountability looks like uh, for the different generations. It's not because, you know, millennials are not a bunch of an entire generation of people who don't want to work. Um, and Gen Xers, loyalist baby boomers are not generations full of people who don't know how to stop working. Uh, they just have different perspectives. And so I think that's what really creates a challenge um, between leadership and, and younger generations. I don't think, uh, actually, I actually, I really cast off the idea that um, that it has anything to do with age or you know, work preferences. I think that's a bunch of baloney. I I tend to agree. Uh, <laughs> as a also as an elder millennial, um, I'm always shocked when some study tells me that I'm not interested in getting a pay raise. Um, <laughs> you know, so if anyone out there is listening, I am actually still quite interested in that. Um, <laughs> so you know, breaking down people by generations one approach. Another approach are personality tests like Meyer Briggs, uh, DISC, Colors personality test. How would you assess those types of cultural tests? Yeah, there are thousands of them, right? And new ones every day. <laughs> um, the real, the real thing that we see about those, they're very useful. Um, we don't want to, I mean, clearly like 20 million people have taken Myers, the Myers-Briggs assessment, one stripe or other. So, um, and they're all, honestly, they're all based on the same work of Carl Jung from the 1920s. So it's mm -hmm. all probably very legitimate. 
The trick that we find, though, about those is that they're very, uh, they're a bit, they're, they're overly self-focused. So I'm an ENTJ, uh, extrovert, judgy, whatever the other ones are, I don't remember, <laughs> which surprises no one, frankly, um, including, my, including myself. Um, and so the, tr- the tough part about that is, though, is if you get 16 people in a room with 16 different personality assessments, how does that actually help you get anything done? Um, because you can't like with there's two of you, you can say, OK, well, you're an introvert. I'm an extrovert. How do we actually interact then? If you get a whole team of people, and that's really what we need in business today is a team of people to get things done. How do you actually figure out what's going on or how to make the whole team work well together? It's You have to have a more holistic approach. So that's, I mean, we feel like while individually useful, it can really tell you a lot about who you are and maybe help even guide you into what you need to do better um, or grow at areas you can grow. It doesn't really help leaders figure out how to deal with teams as a whole. So that's how, where we feel like the benefit and sort of the, the pro and con of those kind of assessments. Do you have uh, something that could be used in conjunction with it or possibly an alternative? Well, as a matter of fact, Jim, we do. Uh, <laughs> we've created a system that's called the culture type assessment. And the culture type assessment actually um, analyzes people in their team environment and what their work preferences are. And so it, it really looks at, are you team driven or do you, span over to the other side of the spectrum and you're a little bit more self-driven um and then the the other side of of the matrix goes from order tolerance so do you prefer order in your work day all the way up to chaos or what those of us who are chaos tolerant call freedom and so you like a little (laughs) bit of freedom to uh you know whatever go to lunch at 11 one day and maybe not go to lunch until noon the next day or um those are uh, we fixers uh, or sorry we chaos tolerant people are the ones that probably don't always meet the deadlines right on time or we come screaming in with the results at the last minute Uh, we meet the deadlines we might just be like right at the end yeah well this is true (laughs) um and so yeah we do have a a solution that helps leaders and teams analyze uh their basically their work preferences as a whole so for the individual and then how does that wrap up into the whole team so what would that approach reveal about leaders and um, employees, and, and how would it be used then? Well, the, the fun thing about it is that it immediately elucidates the challenges that you already sense in your team. So if you're a leader, um, one example is we uh, worked with a manufacturing organization, and those folks tend to be stabilizers or order tolerant people. And so those order tolerant folks have, um, they love to be in a team, they, but they like predictability. They like to know what they're like, what they're going to do tomorrow. Um, they don't like chaos at all. They like to be very, have a very predictable work environment. And so the trick of the matter is, is that those folks, the best of those people get promoted. And so then all of a sudden they find themselves in a much more exposed, um, they're not a part of the team anymore. They're a little, have to be a little more chaotic. And that can feel very uncomfortable for some mm-hmm. of those order taller people. And so immediately they have challenges around how to actually interact with people. How to, how, what does this new thing feel like? It feels uncomfortable. They don't know why. And that makes them uncomfortable with their supervisors and their staff now because they're now their boss. And so when you start understanding sort of the kind of co- community you have at work, you can start immediately identifying where the challenges are going to come, where the communication gaps are going to happen. 
And it's really powerful because if you have a really chaotic, um, a really chaotic organization, then guess what? It's going to be, and then you have people that are order tolerant, they're going to feel really uncomfortable. And the reverse is also true. So for us, it just immediately tells us, uh, it gives us insight into what that leader might be experiencing and where those where those gaps and those challenges might be appearing in their teams. And and I would add to that, this is Meg, I would add to that what it actually sounds like um, in, in real time in the boardroom, because um, HR folks always want to know what is it, what's actually happening. Uh, I know I can say that because I was an HR folks, uh, st- still am at so you heart. still are an HR yeah. folk at heart. Um, and so what, what really, the things that we hear about this system and when people start using it, instead of saying uh, when they leave the boardroom, there's a, a heated debate about something, they leave the conference room and, and then there's some eye rolling and whispering and, and different parties are kind of at odds with each other. There's lots of unspoken conversations. Um, instead of that, when you have the tools with the culture type assessment, you'll hear people say things in the meeting. Oh, gee, Rachel, you're a fixer. I forgot. And so you're really interested in going gangbusters on this deal. But we have, you know, I'm a stabilizer. There's a few things that we really have to talk about because my order tolerant bone is showing and I, I have some questions before we move on. And so then you actually resolve the, 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 the um, issues in real time as opposed to letting it fester into some big conflict. And so that's how, that's the reality. That's how it actually plays out um, when, when people are using the system. And it sounds like, you know, if an organization has, you know, feels that they need to change and they, and they bring in one of these personality tests or maybe even bring in your system, you know, change is hard, right? People resist it, some, some more than others. Um, when it comes to change, what role do you think that company culture plays and in your opinion, why do you think it's so hard for people to accept change? Yeah, change is tricky because if guided well, change can actually m- become a catalyst for higher performance, way more fun, high five cultures. The trick is that we change feels hard. Change is hard in, in some ways for some for order tolerant people they tend to really don't like change, but mostly it's because of the way that the organizations have have done this before. They sort of shove it down their throat or or they know that the, the, the leaders of the company who are tend to be more chaos tolerant in some cases are okay with change and they know their people are gonna like it. So they don't tell them until the very last minute, then they expect them to jump right on board. And you know, while they've been taking years to figure out maybe an acquisition or a reorganization, you know, all of a sudden they tell their people to do it and they expect them to jump right on it. And they're like, wait a minute, this is the first we've heard about this, and, but they're forced to do it anyway. And so what happens is because leaders don't really know how to roll out change so it's less painful, it tends to be the most painful way that it can possibly be done. So the great part about change for me is doing it in a way that actually creates a better, more powerful, more effective team. And that's the thing I think that leaders really miss out on when it comes to change. And it's it's not really, it's a, it, there's a lot of words about it in like organizational development. You'll see a lot of change management, quote unquote. But the problem with change management is they look at the process. Again, it kind of comes back to first you do this and then you do this and then you do that and then this happens and then everyone's on board. But of course, it never happens that way because they don't actually look at the kind of people they have on their team and how they are going to react. And so 
we, we start with the same way. We look at who's on your team and how are they going to react to this change? And then that's going to guide how you strategically roll change out. So that's how it cannot be so miserable. Yeah, I mean, if leaders need to take, you know, if they need to take a new approach or a better approach to handling change or implementing change, uh, what tools and techniques do you think that they just don't seem to have? Uh, you know, I would say that they have lots of resources at their hands, it's that, uh, at their fingertips. It's probably that they're not using them. And that's what we talk about a lot is how are you communicating with people? Um, how often are you communicating with people? The, the, the thing that happens the most often in change where a transition breaks down and is a failure instead of a success is when people feel like they don't have enough information and that, that doesn't, you know, I mean, for order tolerant people, that's really uncomfortable for, for chaos tolerant people, even, even them, that's uncomfortable because they haven't, um, they haven't started the change. They're just, they're part of it. And so I, I think that, uh, leaders, we tend to, as leaders, not give out much information because we're worried that people actually will panic more if they have too much information. I always encourage leaders to give as much as you possibly can give out information and as much as you possibly can answer questions. Um, and even if those questions go down a rabbit hole, of course, I mean, we're all, we're all in the business to make money, right? So you, you can't spend an entire day fielding questions, but if you set up intentional times, um, town hall meetings for people to ask questions, um, listen to what's going on, get updates about the change. That's really the biggest tool I think that leaders don't use is just to communicate with people. Um, the other one I would say is uh, kind of on the other other side of the coin is that when we're going through a change, we tend to not hold excuse me, we tend to not hold people as accountable. Um, for either getting their work done or, you know, good behavior, mm. not in the sense of kindergarten, playground, good behavior, but, you know, pl working together and not getting cranky about change because people get cranky about change. And we say, well, we're just going to let um, Jim get away with that today because, you know, this is really hard on all of us. Uh, well, what that does then is, uh, you know, the, the worst behavior that's tolerated in an organization is now the expectation of the organization. And so then everybody starts to act out and then that's when things do spiral out of control. And so I think accountability and communication are the two real keys, um, key tools. I mean, there's all kinds of tools, right? You can Google change management tools. How do I get people through change? And you can find all kinds of spreadsheets and worksheets and resources. I mean, at the end of the day, the, the real thing is keeping people abreast of what's going on and hold, continuing to hold them accountable and remind them you know, that you're still running a business as a team. Yeah. And I would also argue that it's a timing, right? So Meg makes an outstanding point about communication and accountability. But what happens that we see a lot is they don't give their people enough time to process the change and get and figure out how to how to actually implement it in a way that doesn't feel panicky and freaked out. So there was an article just the other day about Sonic um, restaurants and how they had they had a buyout to a new company and three of entire stores of employees walked out the job on the same day because they were told that they weren't going to make as much money. And turns out, I mean, now that you know the the new company in the bottom said, well, that wasn't true; it was a miscommunication. 
However, that just goes to show you that if there was a more communication over a much longer period of time, then all of that would have been avoided. And can you imagine trying to now recover both the store and the employees from this crate? They were so upset. They all walked off the job. That is a that is a disaster when it comes to making money, productivity, holding accountable, right? Yeah. And so you just got to give them more communication and much more time to get it get it all sorted out. Now let's talk a, a little bit more about communication. Let's say that a leader has the self awareness or has had some sort of um, study done that indicates to them that there's a low employee performance, not for any reason but specifically because of a lack of communication. What would you tell them about communicating in general and, and to get them to realize what they need to do next? Well, um, I wouldn't tell them much of anything right at first. I'd ask them a lot of questions. And the, probably the first question I would ask them is, if you were an employee here, what things would you love and what things would you really hate? Um, and encourage them to be super honest with, well, with themselves and with me so that we could sort out what real issues um, are sort of the underpinning of low, low employee engagement or performance. A lot of times as leaders, I should say, let me say this differently. A lot of times as human beings, <laughs> we don't want to deal with the things that are not going well, especially if we could change them. Um, because that means that we have to sort of veer off the path of the things that we normally do and are comfortable with every day. And so um, I, I, the, the very first thing that I would do is ask lots of questions of that leader and say, okay, well, you know, what, what does a good um, employee environment look like? And if, if you had your best day, what would happen? You know, soup to nuts, beginning to end, what's it look like? And what does it look like for those employees? Um, and then I would go talk to some of the employees and get their perspective on it and share that with the leadership team or leader and, and say, well, you know, here are the differences then between what you see as a successful good day and what they see as a successful good day. And, and then why are those, what are the gaps? What issues are those presenting? How can we actually solve those, those root cause issues? And then you can actually work towards um, more transparent communication. And, and then Hopefully, the goal would be that if everybody sticks with that approach, then uh, it's better going forward. Yeah, you mentioned you know employee engagement, um, you know, and we all know the connection between employee engagement and employee retention. You know, if engagement's low, people are going to leave. Um, do have you guys ever explored the causes of poor employee retention, and do you have any ideas on how to solve it? Yeah, you know, that's a whole podcast times a thousand probably conversation. But yeah, so we always, uh, in fact, that's one of the reasons uh, that we get called a lot to, to support um, organizations is retention. And the, I think the first thing to be aware of, and for all the leaders out there, is that most leaders are well-intentioned. So uh, I, there's an organization organization we're working with right now, and the leadership team there is they think about their staff all the time. They know they work hard. They, you know, they're always um, sort of in their thoughts about, okay, if we roll this out, how will the people react? But frankly, they're doing something inadvertently that's sending people running because they have a retention problem, even though the leadership team is, thinks about it all the time. So part of the challenge that we have is that in this particular organization, 
the people that are in the team that are leaving are order tolerant. They prefer order. They like predictability. They like consistency. That's just who they are. That's who the team is. We did the analysis and found that out. And it turns out that the, the leadership team are much more chaotic. And so what they do that makes sense to them, which is change things every once in a while, try to make it better, uh, do things differently, that actually creates a lot of anxiety for the team at large because they're order tolerant people. They don't like change. Where the, the chaos tolerant people, we, we love change. This is kind of our thing. And so what's happening is there's this disconnect between how the leaders like to work and how their staff likes to work. And so just the decisions they're making, even though they're well-intentioned, are creating this anxiety and extra stress on their people. And one of the things we do is we, and you know, you always hear that people leave their boss, right? Or people leave their culture. And so it's definitely that disengagement. But in this case, it's disengagement sort of by accident. It's always well-intentioned. And so what we can, what we're doing with them is we're actually figuring out what is the causing this anxiety around chaos and uncertainty and how can we reduce the uncertainty for the staff so that they feel like they can just go to work and not worry about all this other stuff that might be happening. So that's one way that we do it that really seems to resonate is reconnecting the leaders with their people in a way that they're understanding how they like to work and what they're doing or how the company's organized that's making them feel uh, uncomfortable or disconnected or not being heard by their leadership. Yeah, and I, I would add to that. A lot of times if we say to the leadership, well, <clears throat> what what is it that people aren't liking? What do they say they're leaving for? Well, of course, when somebody leaves, they never tell you the truth. They're either <laughs> angry or they're not, and then they just say, oh, I just needed a new opportunity. So we say, well, ask them before they leave. What are the things that are missing? Don't just assume that you know. You know, it's like mm-hmm. leadership teams say, well, Gosh, we you know we put three ply toilet paper in the in the bathroom and, and we offered Snickers bar in the snack room and I just feel like everybody should be super happy and it's like, well half of your team has a nut allergy and they don't even use the bathroom here they go home at lunchtime like, you know I mean so I think the the real call to action for a leadership team when there is disengagement in your workforce and, and that's leading to uh, and if it's not it will believe me, um, leading to high turnover is you don't know what they want. And and I think leaders are a little nervous to ask because they think people are going to ask for the whole world, you know, on a silver platter. Shoot, most of the time people, you know, it's like, well, you know, I, I really needed to leave because I had a doctor's appointment, but I was scared to ask because my boss never leaves the office. And so I didn't want them to be disappointed in me. And you're like, well, we're all human beings. I would never keep you here if you had a doctor's appointment or really for any other reason, it's not like you abuse our attendance policy. So it's really about asking people what their expectations are. I should say being brave enough to ask people what their expectations are. And then if they do have some ludicrous, you know, it's like, well, we, everybody wants a flying car. Okay. Well, that's not going to happen. So what's your next request? (laughs) And you can say no um, to some of the requests that come in. It's really about asking, you know, what is it? Why are you not engaged? Why don't you want to stay here? It's it's a uh, it's kind of funny because you know a lot of employees are afraid to ask for a raise, and it sounds like a lot of leaders are afraid to ask employees what their you know what their issue is. <laughs> so on both sides, you can see why why people can fester you know for a while before they take action. Oh, for sure. Um, 
you know, sometimes, you, you know, a company has a problem or a person, even just on the individual level, a person will have a problem. You bring them a solution and they say, that might work for so-and-so, but that doesn't work for me. And I wonder if you run into people from certain industries in particular where they say, oh, you know, those company culture, um, you know, your attempts to change company culture in another organization or another industry might work, but they don't work for us. Have you run into anything like that? You know, I know. Uh, yeah, right. You should have seen <laughs> Meg's face. If only this was a video, you would have laughed out loud at Meg's face. Um, but yeah, the the trick of the matter is, is what we actually hear a lot is that, or what I think the belief is that we fight against. There's a couple aspects that we see a lot in the in any industry is they don't people don't think they can actually create and design their culture. They think that it is what it is. It feels overwhelming to change. Or let's say even a dysfunctional team, you know, they think I've tried everything, it's not going to work. And what really a lot of it is, is that perspective of um, what we do with the, the chaos to order talk, that seems to be such a driver for these organizations. And, and we always say that your internal experience for your organization is designed either by accident or intention. So if you don't like what you're getting out of your teams. It's because it's you, but your organization is designed to give you that. So it's sort of like that old maxim of, you know, it's the insanity is to do the same thing and expect a different outcome. So a lot of times what we, you know, we're just, we, we never say, and we don't believe that leaders are being bad actors. We don't believe that they don't care or they're doing something wrong. What we really do is, you know, we, we, what we're saying is it's probably just a little tweak to what you're doing because everyone's working hard. Everyone's, like put in the time and the hours and the mental energy to make their teams better. But a lot of times they just don't know a couple of these key ideas around, uh, you know, like on this chaos tolerant or uh, order tolerant ideas and team driven. And so just a little bit of tweaking makes a huge difference. Um, this one organization that I mentioned earlier um, about they're disconnected from their people a little bit, you know, all that their people want to Meg's point earlier about they don't usually want a lot. All these guys really want us to be heard. They just want to feel like their leaders are hearing what they have to say and they're hearing what they need. And so that's such a tiny thing, but people think that they're already doing it. And so that's really the challenge is just to offer leaders just a, a, another new little perspective to get them to think, you know, I actually didn't know that about my people. And then it all becomes clear a lot of times. So if, if a lot of times it's getting that dialogue going to Meg's point about asking questions. And once you start asking those questions, a lot of times they're like, oh, I didn't know that's what you meant when you meant culture or growing your team or being connected to my people. So it's it's usually very, very small changes, but people think that these huge overwhelming, it's a huge and overwhelming to change your culture, but it actually just takes a little tiny change because people hate walking on eggshells. They feel uncomfortable. We all hate that. So if you give them just a little tiny thing to focus on, people jump right on do you think that there's a, you know, a reason or a set of reasons why a team that was performing well and was innovating might suddenly or gradually stop? And do you think that a team that uh, is in that situation has a way back? Uh, yes and yes. I think this could be a whole other podcast <laughs> series. <laughs> um, yeah, I think teams can become derailed for lots of reasons. Probably the root cause 
of most team derailment would be that um, they don't have any anything new to think about. So the way that the way the ch- process of change works is you go through the change happens, you go through decline, meaning basically denial, and then you let go and you say, okay, well, this is going to be our new normal. And then you go through an innovation phase and you're up and down, bouncing around, your energy's high and then it's low and, and people are kind of in different places uh, on, on in that innovation phase. And for some people, that's really exciting. For chaos-tolerant people and for order-tolerant people, it's really scary and maddening. Um, and then everybody, you know, the storm storm calms down and we all decide where we're going to be and that's your new normal. And for, for teams, especially teams that really are jiving and working well together, um, they hit new normal, but then pretty soon they want a new challenge. And I, th- I think um, even even teams that have order tolerant folks in them um, or self-driven folks, they they probably get bored. And so I think it's really important that um, teams always have something new to be thinking about. I think a lot of times we think, well, gee, we don't have a whole new project. Uh, when I was in HR, I'd say, well, hey, look, this person is looking for a new opportunity and they really want to grow themselves and their supervisor would say, well, gosh, I just, I don't have anything for them to do. I don't have anything new and exciting coming up. And I'd say, well, it doesn't have to be new and exciting. Do you have a policy that needs reviewed and that you could just get their opinion on it? Oh, that's an awful thing to give somebody. Well, <laughs> this is a very policy driven industry. Um, right, that's true. <laughs> you know, or could they watch it? Could they go into a different department for a day, you know, and just learn about what another department does? So, the, these new opportunities for teams or individuals don't have to be something big and huge and uh, revelatory. It can be small things just because people like to be challenged. They like the opportunity to grow and they like the opportunity to belong. And so those are the two things that you have to make sure you're really moving forward on and thinking about as a leader uh, with regard to your teams. Do people feel like they belong? Um, and, and are they are they growing individually and growing as a team together? And are they challenged? Um, so that answers the first part of the question. Now, what was the second part of the question? Can they go back to being innovative once they get out of oh, it? Oh, yeah. So if you get in a funk, can you get mm-hmm. back to it? Yeah, you bet. I think um, it's not impossible. I think it takes a lot of work. It takes a ton of mindset work. Um, sometimes there might be a toxic person or two on a team, and you have to decide if they're a good part of the team and if they, and what the reason what the reasons are behind the toxicity. Are they... Are they bored? Are they? Are there too many unspoken conversations that need to be had that the leadership needs to facilitate so that everybody can kind of move past some icky feelings that aren't even real in the first place? Um, but yeah, I think teams can get back on track for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, without a doubt, I think that's possible. I think it takes a lot of work, and so a lot of times we kind of all throw our hands up in the air and say, "Well, I guess we're just going to have to get rid of Bobby because she's causing all these problems." And and sometimes that's true, but I think more often than not, the, those teams can be salvaged. Um, it just mm-hmm. takes a lot a, a lot of work. Yeah, I can just imagine. You know, it's not that hard to imagine someone saying, you know, I I need a new challenge, and then hearing, well, we don't have any, and then saying, well, okay, so I'll go find a new challenge somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, that's the last thing that anybody wants. So that's some good advice. Um. What trends do you think, positive or negative, do you see uh, amongst leaders today? And how would you, you know, encourage the first and discourage the second? 
Um, I would start with saying the trends to the good are that we've really started to see more and more uh, paying attention to culture and humans. And like they, some of them are, for me, tend to go a little over to the, oh, we have to pay attention to all the humans and every person has to have their own thing. And we have to, you know, so we're much, we're, I would say we're a little more pragmatic than being completely over on the humans first sort of end of thing. But there is a trend to that people are starting to recognize the disconnect between leadership, which is at an all time high as far as training and coaching, and this 70% disconnect that we see um, through all the polls. So if we were doing a really great job about leadership training, that wouldn't be happening, right? We, we tend to leadership today, I would argue tends to not solve problems directly very well. Uh, and so I think people are starting to recognize that and trying to figure out how to reconnect leaders with their people in a new way. And so that's a trend that I definitely see uh, heading in the right direction. Um, I guess the other thing that I think is a tricky, we, we look at a little bit of the entrepreneurial space sometimes, and, and there's a lot of this fail fail first, fail fast, fail kind of mantra. And, uh, and I, we think we absolutely support that in the sense of you can't be afraid to fail you because then you're not innovating, right? You can't be afraid to innovate uh, because you might fail. What we see a lot though, is a lot of the failure might actually be a cultural failure or a failure to build your team correctly. So what we think for me anyway, it's a little bit of a cop-out sometimes to say, well, we failed, we're going to start over and trash the whole thing and go from the ground up. Because I think if leaders were better versed in growing their team and growing their culture in a more productive way, then I think you would have much, much greater uh, successful mergers and acquisitions. You'd have better startup success. All of those things, we really see a big component of those failures as a failure to look at the people and the culture and the, how you build a team correctly. So to me, I'm, I'm a bit of two minds about the fail fast, fail all the time, fail quick, fail big, you know, that sort of mantra. Is it yes, if you've got your team built in a way that can bounce back from that failure and be resilient and then go on to the next thing. You don't want to fail fast if you're tra if everybody completely, uh, you know, is put, you know, sort of brushed to the side and you, and you trash all your people when you start over with somebody else. So there's, it's pretty, it's kind of that to me is a leadership trend that I, I like because I'm a chaos tolerant person, but I also worries me because I think it gives people an excuse to not focus on their team as much as they should. Uh, the one I would add that's negative uh, to circle back to the topic we covered earlier about generational differences, like mm -hmm. if we just threw that in the garbage, right? If we could use the men in black eraser pen and erase <laughs> that from every business leader's mind that generational differences were a thing, certainly something else would replace it. But if tomorrow we all went to work and we just said, okay, I'm going to not assume that because you're a certain age, you're going to do something right or wrong, good or bad. Um, then gosh, can you imagine where, how, what other things could we put all of that energy to? Right. Like we could be so much more productive as leaders, employees, teams generally, if we stopped worrying about that. And so I, I think that whole, that whole trend and the whole topic is just, just garbage. I wish we could just get rid of it altogether, which is not possible, but I, this is part of my mission for 2019 is to <laughs> rid the world of generational difference 
nonsense. Uh, nonsense. Well, you know, and honestly, uh, Jim, what I think is going on with some of that is what the younger generations are offering us or empowering us to do is actually be connected with our companies. And and what, because actually what we see is there's a lot of stable, there's a lot of order tolerant, what we call stabilizer groups. There's a lot of people that need to feel connected. And so even though they, you know, you hear and you read about how flighty millennials are, they jump from job to job. What really is happening there, from my perspective, is they don't feel connected. The culture doesn't make them feel welcomed and and allows them to thrive. And so they're they're just less willing to put up with poor culture, I think. And so I think what's happening is, is it's, we're all starting to look around and going, oh, well, we're blaming the younger generations that they're not going to fit into our stuff. What they're, what I think is really happening is we're going to have to start looking at our own culture and deciding that we have a culture that's going to allow everybody to thrive instead of you have to fit with what we have or you're out. And so I really think it's about, um, you know, designing your culture to be a great culture. Cause trust me, if you have a high five culture, you're not going to lose people. I don't care what age they are. And so to me, it feels like an excuse to, to not work on the things that companies need to work on. So Meg and I are definitely aligned in, in the, let's get rid of that conversation and change it to something much more productive. And just to quickly reiterate, a good culture does not necessarily mean, for millennials or any generation, does not necessarily mean beanbags and you know, oh God, sky domes. It doesn't have to be like Google's headquarters, which is an amazing facility. And those people who are there love to work there. Um, but we can be pragmatic and still run business the way it needs to be run. I agree with Rachel. I think one of the things that leaders have to be really careful of is not to go too far the other way mm -hmm. so that everybody's trying to provide the Google environment. Every All the people in the world do not prefer that as an mm -hmm. environment. And so I think that's an, a caution I would I would a caution flag I would put up to leaders is um, being hip does not mean as a leader does not mean the, that everybody just wants beanbags in the in the lunchroom or whatever. Oh my God, I can never get out of those things anyway. So yeah, right, right. Who'd want to sit in that in a dress? I can't even get out of one in a pair of pants. <laughs> well, guys, um, it's all been very interesting, and I uh, I really appreciate you guys taking the time to be here today. Oh, thanks for having us. Yeah. It's really fun. It's great. Listeners, we are always interested in suggestions you might have for what HR Works should cover next. Feel free to reach out to us on Twitter at HR Works Podcast with any thoughts or concerns you have about the podcast in general or just to say hello. Thanks for listening. This is Jim Davis with HR Works. <laughs>